Good morning. It's Thursday, the 22nd of February, and this is Govind Rajayathi Raj broadcasting from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day Indian markets hit a record high for the third consecutive session. Investors balance temptations to buy with high valuation concerns. India is the third most profitable region for HSBC replaces China. Oil prices fall and now presenting a primer on crude varieties. The United States steps up chip subsidies once again. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. The markets hit another record high. The markets broke a 6-day winning streak long by most standards and swung away and downwards towards close on Wednesday. Now there are a lot of cues that the markets are digesting at the same time some good and others not so some short term and some fairly long and we will come to those in a moment the nifty 50 rose sharply in early trade to hit a record high for the third session in a row before of course reversing gains in the final hours during the day the bse sensex hit a high of 73268 but closed down 434 points at 72623 Meanwhile the Nifty had climbed to an intraday high of 22249 at close it was down 142 points at 22055 so that's above 22000 for the Nifty and of course above 72000 for the BSE Sensex now we've been talking about how investors are shunning china and that's true but like markets and like investors when the valuations go really low in one place and really high in another they start revisiting their positions and the views are many but you also have to read closely and sometimes in between the lines because the timing horizons vary among other things and which is why if you were a long term investor then many of the projections sound fine but if you're not then you would wonder if investors particularly foreign ones say one thing in one month and do another in another month Citibank research says investor interest in India remains very high given the increased weightage of the country in MSCI or the Morgan Stanley Capital International indices even as the high valuations continue to weigh on sentiments the reasons they quote for a favorable bias on India are secular growth outlook particularly relative to peers supportive macro expectation of policy continuity in an election year and financialization of savings India's weight in the MSCI Emerging Markets Index is now 18% up from 13% in January 2023 and has edged much closer to China from being about a fifth just 4 years ago. On the other hand, you have to remember that foreign institutional investors have been selling Indian equities almost consistently since the beginning of Jan. However, and do note the however, a lot of investors do struggle with high valuations resulting in some money staying on the sidelines. City Research said as reported by NDTV profit meanwhile andrew holland ceo of avendus capital public markets alternate strategies told the same station that's ndtv profit he was in no rush to pile more money into india stocks as he doesn't want to go over leftovers after missing the recent rally the mumbai based fund manager said the problem for india is that valuations while they're not killing were not as attractive or so attractive when compared to china He said that it's been a great rally and don't get me wrong and I think everyone's scratching their head a little bit how they missed it. According to Holland a lot of the gains have already been made in individual stocks rather than just the indices adding a growth of around 15% earnings and a gain in the market is anticipated for the 24-25 financial year that's coming up soon though earnings and the markets could go up further. 
So these were the two immediate views. Meanwhile, Morgan Stanley, chief Asia and emerging market strategist, told CNBC TV18 that Asian and emerging market equities are in a new era led by India and followed by Japan as they are in a strong secular bull market on the basis of strong earnings growth and a nominal GDP growth. If we look at the most recent quarter in India, earnings grew 23% year-on-year and these are very strong fundamentals driving the bull market and that's a sharp contrast to China which is unable to grow earnings in the current deflationary environment, he said. According to him, China and its property crash has led to a downward spiral in consumption activity, wages and return on equity. While this is a completely different situation in India and the country is in a virtuous cycle of strong GDP growth and robust capital inflows. More from him, he said that in the context of a much more stable interest rate and exchange rate regime that we've seen in India, these are all consequence of persistence of a macro reform agenda which has produced a greater macro balance in the country and it is no surprise to them, that's Morgan Stanley, that India is a persistent secular bull market. Meanwhile, overseas on Wall Street, it was waiting for NVIDIA's earnings overnight and the event itself was so big that Goldman Sachs trading desk called NVIDIA the most important stock on planet Earth. So NVIDIA is like in some ways the HDFC bank of the US indices. See the comparison? Actually, there's none except for the high weightages. NVIDIA alone has been responsible for about one third of the Nasdaq 100 index gains this year, said Bloomberg. Stock futures were actually low following worries over whether NVIDIA could deliver another blockbuster earnings. NVIDIA, of course, is at the heart of the artificial intelligence revolution and its stock price tripled in 2023. HSBC reports record profits. First, India has replaced China as the third largest profitable region for Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation, or HSBC, led by strong growth in its global banking and markets division, which services large corporations and includes treasury operations, the Economic Times here reported. HSBC, Europe's largest bank by assets, said its India profit before tax rose about 19% to $1.5 billion in 2023 from $1.27 billion a year ago behind Hong Kong and the United Kingdom, the bank's two largest business regions, according to the results released on Wednesday. Meanwhile, HSBC's full-year 2023 pre-tax profit missed analyst estimates on Wednesday, hit by impairment costs linked to its stake in a Chinese bank. HSBC has its largest workforce in India. That's about 42,000 of about 220,000 people who work in the bank at the end of 2023. Many of them, of course, work in operations that are facing the global bank. Crude oil and its many forms. First, some good oil news for the day. Brent was down to near $82 a barrel from around $83 yesterday. In itself, not much, but useful to note, particularly at a time when there are so many pressures, including geopolitical. Oil has remained broadly in a $10 trading range this year as the push and pull of bearish and bullish factors led to lower volatility, said Bloomberg. A senior oil analyst at DNB Bank told Bloomberg that oil prices are expected to continue to be range-bound short-term despite escalating tensions in the Middle East. Which is of course a good time to ask where the Indian oil basket stands today and is likely to go. Remember, India imports almost 85% of its crude requirements. But before we get to that, in yesterday's edition, I spoke of Russian crude and I said the so-called crude in a few places, something two very alert listeners and friends pointed out immediately. 
So, given that crude is not just crude, just like a car is not just a car and can be of many sizes, shapes and forms, well, of course, figuratively speaking, I decided to go in a little deeper for today. So, the specific issue or trigger was to do with the more expensive Russian crude which Indian refineries are not buying since they prefer the cheaper one which are called the Urals. Because of which Bloomberg reports that several ships carrying the pricier so-called crude have been stranded now right now at least near Malaysia and South Korea. Now why something is cheap and not is something we'll come to in a moment. The International Energy Agency points out that Russia produces several different types of crude oil, but its main export blend is the Urals, which is a medium sour crude. Other grades include Siberian light, so-called Sakhalin blend, Arctic oil and Novi port. Yes, I know they do sound like either vodka or Brea brands and perhaps they even are or at least names close to them. So, I reached out to Harsh Dole not to discuss beer or vodka but to talk about oil. Harsh is the vice president and oil and energy analyst at IIFL Securities and I began by asking him to walk us through the different types of crude and how the price structures worked at least from an India perspective. If you were to break down broadly what kind of crude India uses, approximately 50% of India's oil imports are from Middle East countries which comprise of Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Kuwait, UAE, Oman, etc. It includes variety of crude such as Arab light, Arab heavy, uh, crude from Saudi, which is the which is predominantly coming from Saudi. Then we also have crude coming from Iraq, which is in the form of Basra, Basra light or Basra heavy, or Murban crude, which is from UAE. Of late, approximately 30 to 35% of our oil is also coming from Russia, as you are well aware that we are trying to source the arbitrage barrels. These predominantly comprise of Urals. On top of that, around 10% of the oil comes from US. US is predominantly the WPI range, and you know, that's the broad basket. Right. From Russia, we are importing various kinds of crude again, or at least Russians are supplying various kinds of crude again. So some are more premium and some are not. Could you walk us through that? So Russia predominantly supplies Ural grades of crude. Ural is typically sold at a discount to Brent. And after the war, which has started between Russia and Ukraine, the discount to Brent has considerably widened partly because of the cap that G7 countries have imposed. By and large, prior to war, we did not import any great amount of oil from Russia, or the quantity was very insignificant. It's only after the price discounts have widened, it has made immense economical sense for us to pay the extra shipping cost and yet process the Russian barrels, which probably end us giving the same amount of output that any other oil of equivalent grade would give us. So essentially, Ural, which comes from Russia, in terms of quality of the quality of this uh, oil, it is essentially medium to high in terms of sulfur content. And just to give you perspective, if the sulfur content is very high, it is called as a sar crude. And typically, a sar crude gives you high amount of diesel as well as you know furnace oil. So if you want produce more of diesel or more of furnace oil, then you would blend more of, you know, Ural. Alternatively, if your refinery has ability to process bottom or the bottom products into high valuated components, which is what refineries of RIL or some of the newer refineries established by PSUs have, then you don't mind mixing Ural 
or processing them separately. But typically, Russia gives you more output in terms of diesel or furnace oil. Right. And in the last week or so, we've been hearing about these ships carrying so-called crude, which is from the Sakhalin project, or I'm assuming it's an area like Bombay High is. And those are priced higher. So what specifically is the issue there? See, the transportation cost is slightly higher than an equivalent distance if it were to travel. And the reasons are fairly you know, low. A, travel restrictions imposed. Second, insurance costs, which has actually gone up. And of course, in general, availability of tankers. Most of the oil that is coming out is supposedly coming out from dark fleets. And those dark fleets, of course, at times, the Western countries always want to keep a tag on such dark vessels and further impose penalties on uh, such shipments. So there is a volatility in terms of, you know, the shipping cost, which actually comes out from Russia. But somehow, in the best interest of country, both India and China have been able to negotiate well and get the oil into India and China respectively. And that's actually played out well. Had this crude not been available in the market, I think the damage to the economies would have been substantially higher because during the peak, there was absolutely no spare capacity with OPEC when basically the war had just started and the consumption was just picking up globally, there was no spare capacity at that time. And I'm glad that, you know, India and China were able to get these, you know, barrels out of Russia. Otherwise, the prices would have gone through the roof. Right. And the premium crude that right now Russia is shipping out, which is currently idling off the coast of Malaysia and South Korea, as I understand from Bloomberg reports, isn't that a higher priced crude compared to Urals? See, what has also happened is over a period in time, the discount to Brent also keeps on gyrating. And that's probably because in general, if the global economic conditions or the news flow on essentially the consumption from China, India, etc., etc., these are the factors that keep on weighing these price premiums or discounts. I'm not too sure what you're actually referring to. Probably what you're referring to is the price when... Brent was maybe 80 or 85 or 90 plus, and therefore the discount to which the oral barrels were being supplied were proportionately higher. Brent has corrected thereof. And yes, to that extent, there is a time lag between when it was put on the ships, it being stuck, and the price right now. Is that what you're trying to work do? Yes, I guess. I'm sure it happens all the time, isn't it? It's part and parcel of the oil refining or oil trading business. I wouldn't read too much into that. Rather, what I will focus on is if the freight rates become prohibitively expensive and Russia is just unwilling to offer any discount, then sourcing of barrels from Russia to that extent becomes uneconomical. And that's one factor that I will, you know, kind of keep a close eye on. You're saying that because you feel we are on the verge of that happening or it's beginning to happen? I don't think so. Because, you know, globally, India and China are steadily consuming uh, oil. Elsewhere, the economic scenario is not that great. And probably that is the reason why OPEC has gone ahead and uh, reinforced those production cuts. And they are trying to curtail the supply of incremental barrel. So oil producing companies or countries are quite eager to sell off their barrels. 
such kind of you know, scenario will emerge only if there is a signal that there is a V-shape recovery in China. And I hope that happens so that at least the commodities see a bottom and world becomes a much uh, better place to live because the gloomy situation kind of you know, goes away. Right. How is or what is the outlook from an Indian basket point of view, at least in coming months, as far as from your perspective, Harsh? India has been very sensible, very wise. Our policymakers, I would uh, extend very high praise to them because uh, never we have seen such kind of diplomacy. They're trying to source barrel of oil from whichever location possible through the oil marketing companies and trying to ensure that we keep our refineries full. Because unlike elsewhere, petrol diesel consumption in India is steadily rising and we need oil and we need cheap oil. So uh, while they're negotiating with Russia, they have also keep engaged Venezuela, Iran, Iraq, which have capabilities to supply good quality oil which can be processed into India. So by and large, if I were to you know, place uh, cost of barrel, I don't see that substantially increasing relative to a Brent or a WTI. It should probably move in sync with that. I think that's a fairly healthy sign. And my assessment of the oil market is, while oil is unlikely to fall substantially below $70, $75 to a barrel, a runaway increase is also unlikely because there is huge spare capacity with the OPEC, which is sitting on the sidelines. So it's sort of a Goldilocks situation for India, whereby oil remains in a very narrow band and there is less volatility. Right, Harsh. Thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. The United States steps up chip subsidies. We've spoken before of how governments across the world, at least a few notable ones, are wooing chip giants to set up capacity in their countries with hefty subsidies and incentives. To that extent, as we've also pointed out here, India too has to fight the same battle if it wants to pull in the big chip makers into India and there are not too many of them. Remember that like oil, chips are now seen as resources that are critical to national security. The US government is giving chipmaker Global Foundries $1.5 billion in grants to build and expand facilities in New York and Vermont, the first major award in a program that tries to reinvigorate domestic chip manufacturing, according to the Wall Street Journal. The award from the Commerce Department kicks off what is expected to be a series of cash injections into semiconductor manufacturing projects in Arizona, Texas, New York and Ohio in coming weeks. Chipmakers Intel, Samsung, Micron have all submitted applications to the government to cover a portion of the billions of dollars it would take to build cutting-edge factories, according to the Wall Street Journal. These grants have been under negotiation for months and are a cornerstone of the $53 billion CHIPS Act of 2022. Interestingly, the Wall Street Journal also points out that this comes at a time that the chip industry is seeking to recover from an extended downturn. Global chip sales fell about 8% in 2023 to what $527 billion, although the pace of sales picked up in the second half of last year. Large chip makers like TSMC and Intel have apparently slowed construction on factories from their initial plans, but they've also said that they're committed to finishing their projects. Reliance-led consortium for domestic chat GPT service. A consortium backed by Reliance Industries and leading engineering schools are aiming to launch a chat GPT-style service next month, according to Bloomberg. The Bharat GPT Group, which includes an arm of India's most valuable company, this Reliance, and eight affiliated universities, offered a sneak peek of that large language model on Tuesday at a conference in Mumbai. 
In a video that played before delegates, a motorcycle mechanic in southern India queried an AI bot in Tamil. A banker conversed with the tool in Hindi and a developer in Hyderabad used it to write computer code. If successful, the model, dubbed Hanuman after the half-monkey Hindu god, will represent an advance for India in the accelerating race to develop potentially transformative AI technology, said Bloomberg. Bharat GPT envisions the model working in 11 local languages and four main fields, that's healthcare, governance, financial services, and education. That's it from me then. See you tomorrow. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening. <laughs>